Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. G'day and welcome to this week's episode of The Educated Hunter. This week is an awesome chat, actually. I spoke to Gary Harwood, who's based in Taupo. His official title is he's the Eastern Rep for the Central North Island Seeker Foundation. So we had a conversation specifically around Seeker, around the foundation. It was uh, hugely positive, actually, and very encouraging to hear the work that Gary and the rest of the volunteers at the Seeker Foundation are doing um, with with Seeker, and more specifically around some of the partnerships they're building with some of the external organisations that, let's be honest, traditionally um, don't go hand in hand with a lot of attitudes of Kiwi hunters, so we're talking like Doc, Osprey, etc. So it was a very positive um, conversation. Um, to hear about some of their conservation projects was really, really cool. I don't want to get too far into it because uh, it'll all be revealed in due course in this podcast. But again, to reiterate, it was an awesome chat with Gary uh, and the Seeker Foundation themselves. What they've managed to achieve is with the help of a bunch of really great volunteers and also a lot of local businesses who have put their hands up and donated to the likes of the Blue Dark Orfeo project in the Kaimanawas. So have a listen to this podcast and then I'm going to make a special shout out to those sponsors in particular that have shelled out cold hard cash um, to help out the Seeker Foundation and what they're doing for the Blue Duck in the Kaimanos. So stick around, it's worth listening to them. It's good to know as a hunter if you can support those organisations, I guess, who support hunters and, and are happy to put their hand up and, and donate to great conservation efforts like this that benefit not only the conservation efforts in the Kaimanawas, but also contributes to the image of hunters and how we're perceived by the general public. So without any further ado, here is Gary Howard of the Central North Island Seeker Foundation. Okay, Gary, thank you very much for joining me. We're in, where are we? Taupo, at your house, having yep. a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking the time. You could be off, what, selling houses? <laughs> yeah, that's what I could be doing, but uh, this is much more fun than that. I'd rather talk about hunting. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Gary, is what's your position at the Seeker Foundation? I'm the Eastern Rep, so um, we have reps looking after different areas. Uh, so I'm the Eastern Rep, which basically um, Eastern Kaimanawas, Kawika Ranges, those sort of areas, which I represent those, those people that hunt cool. those areas. Right, and you're obviously a pretty passionate hunter. And off off tape, but when we're sort of getting to know each other a little bit, you mentioned that you've been hunting since you're knee high to a duck. Would that be a fair comment? Fair comment. Yeah, I grew up on a farm, and um, and that's a fair while ago now because um, as you can see, my grey hair. I've got a few years on me, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, my hunting started when I was probably six years old. I mean, I used to get off the school bus, run up the driveway, throw my school bag in the in the porch, and grab the gun and take off. Had 1,200 acres to run around on. And, oh, so where um, was that? Up in a place called Tanarata, which is way in the back of Gisborne, about halfway okay. between Gisborne and Wairau. Real wild and, country. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, great place to grow up. And yeah, we didn't have TV in those days, those sort of things, so you couldn't 
yeah, it weren't glued to a TV set or, or an iPhone. Yeah. Um, you yeah, made your own entertainment, and my entertainment was um, just out hunting, whether it be hares, turkeys, goats. Um, we didn't have a lot of, we used to get the odd deer and pig passing through, but in the neighbourhood there are plenty of deer and right. pigs around the place. So, yeah, that's where it all started, and I've just hunted ever since, just love it. And it's just all about being out there as well. I just love yeah. being out in the bush and out in the hills. So how long have you been in Taupo? About, um, I came here on holiday about 32 years ago and stayed here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I oh. drove over that hill, looked at the lake and the mountains and thought, wow, what Pretty a cool, cool place. Spot. Yeah. So. so you obviously got a fairly good, um, you spent the last 32 years hunting here. So you're passionate about the seeker? and Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in Gisborne uh, hunting in the Uawaris and, and, and around the area where I lived and it was mainly pigs and, and obviously red deer. Um, and I heard about Seeker and read about them and how hard they were to hunt and, and, and various things and um, came over here and you've yeah, been hunting them for the last 30, 32 years and 33 years and uh, yeah, they're amazing little animals. What do you think it is about Seeker specifically that make them so special? Uh, just their nature, you know, they can, be, they can be really hard to hunt or they can be easy, it depends how you hunt them. Um, they take a little while to figure out. It took me a little while to figure them out, but um, yeah, they they they're such amazing. They're, they're curious, yeah, inquisitive um, little buggers, aren't they? They are, you know, and they'll whistle at you, and they'll just hide behind a bunch of bushes somewhere and whistle at you, you know, from fifty yards, and you won't see them, yeah. and you might see a little ear twitch or eye blink, and they're yeah. gone. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said to to young guys who are asking me who are getting into hunting, what do you recommend? I so said, once you figure, think you've got it figured out, go hunt Seeker for a while because they'll humble you. And there's nothing like walking up a river with the wind up your ass and having them whistle mm. in front of you to let you know how important wind is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with Red Deer, they'll, you know, it's like you'll go in there with the wind up your ass and come out if you're inexperienced and declare it a deer-free zone. Mm. Whereas you can't get away with doing that with Seeker because you can hear the buggers giving you the big stuff you <laughs> yeah and the thing is you know um they are so curious and, and can be really crafty and they will whistle at you yeah. and they can be really frustrating because you know they're right there you can't yeah. see them and they'll just they'll do that to you time after time um until you get them figured out and um uh, they are and that can be their downfall their, their yeah. curiosity you know if you if you um got the right tactics but um you've got to have everything right when you hunt seeker yeah and, and uh, I mean, for me too, the, the environment where they live, like the you know, Kaimanawa's car workers, is, is a beautiful part of the beautiful part of the country. Yeah, it it's, is. You know, the combination of with the you know, you've sort of got the bush, the beech forest, you've got the the tops, which are very special in themselves, the high country, and then you've got the rivers that run out of the Kaimanawa's car workers down into. I guess Taupo, most of them end up in, don't they? Mm, yeah, most of them end up uh, running. Oh, well, you've got the Mohawker that runs out the other way. The way uh, all the, all the, you know, the car workers tend to run out that way. The the, the um, Kaimanawas, the the, east, the the western side runs into um, into the lake. So, um, But no, it is beautiful country, and like you say, you've got a bit of everything. You've, yeah. got, the, you've got the bush, the streams, um, and some beautiful bush on there. And uh, then you've got the open tops, so uh, I love wandering around there too. It's a bit of a change from... Um, bashing through the bush. So. Yeah. So where did they come from originally, Seeker? Um, well, actually, the, I, I did a little bit of research on it f- um, uh, a couple of years ago, and the first liberation of Seeker in New Zealand took place in apparently in 1985 in the Omaru, uh, down in South Island. Funnily really? enough, 
Yeah, and they uh, and they failed. Nineteen eighty-five or eighteen eighty. Oh, sorry, eighteen eighty-five. Yeah. Um, um, and they failed to establish uh, for some reason, and there's not a lot of documentation on that liberation. Right. Um, but the the liberation that took hold and where our seeker herd originates today was they were, they were originally liberated on um, Pioneer Station in 1905 on Merrily's Clearing, and there are uh, six animals, three hinds and three stags. Really? Is that all? That, that's it. But but. And there's not a lot of documentation on that either, but they think that two of the stags got killed at the time of release. So you're looking at uh, our current, if that was the case, you're looking at our current seeker herd originally, originating from four animals. Really? Three so hinds one and one stag. <laughs> yeah. That's not a big genetic pool. It's not. The only one that small would probably be tar was equally as tiny, I believe, mm. um, yeah. because they came from by way of a game park and in the UK, <clears throat> so they went Nepal, England, That's right. then to New Zealand. Yeah. So that was a relatively small herd as well, but probably not that small. That's spectacularly tiny. I know, and, and you know, I, so there's not a lot of, lot of documentation around the fact that those two stags were killed, but if that was the case, as we say, there were yeah. only four animals, one stag and three hinds. So. And I know, Amazing. I don't know, this might be a little bit outside the box, but I know that you can get seeker in Japan, which I've seen, and yeah. you can get seeker in China. That's right. And they're quite distinctly different. Did we get both, or did we just get one? Yeah, the genetics of these animals thought to be quite of mixed origin. Um, okay, so they were kind of hybrids beforehand. Yeah, it could have been, and that's why in New Zealand we'll get um, some some thrown to each. Yeah, um, so some real black, dark brown ones. Yeah. And then you get the sort of Mendel. Mm. Yeah, Manchurian and Nippon. Manchurian and Nippon, that's yeah. the one. So you've got one yeah. bigger than the other. And so yeah. you, you get. You, but, um, but you will get um, you know, different seeker throwing back to the, the different subspecies. Yeah, yeah. You certainly do. Mm. Particularly in the summer coat, sometimes you really see that. Yeah. That real difference in coloration and size. Yeah, you do. Really yeah, cool. and yeah, so the size thing can be quite amazing. So I guess what we've ended up with really is a New Zealand flavour of seeker from not a lot of diversity to start with. It's sort of like the Wapiti, I guess, but, you know, whether mm. wrongly or rightly, we're stuck with sort of our unique strain of hybrid now. Um, yeah, we are, and I guess you've got a bit of red thrown. You know, they, they do um, cross crossbreed with reds as well, so okay. you've got a little bit of that thrown as well. Right, mm. so that, I guess, ups the body size and... Chucks an extra point on every so often. Yeah, it can do. I mean, you can get ten points seeker. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, there's there's. I mean, most of the ones in the Kaimanawas and Kawika show really strong seeker characteristics. Yeah. But you can get the old ones that do show hybrid characteristics. Well, I guess it probably helps too that they rut slightly later than the mm. the red deer as well. So yeah. I guess it's unlike the red deer and the wapiti, which seem to go parallel at the same time and you've got red deer being relatively aggressive with how they um, colonise areas that that, that hybridisation seems to have happened very very well seems to happen pretty commonly whereas this is probably more of a once in every blue moon type deal yeah it seems to be because you know they're, they're the seeker are, are you know, quite characteristically seeker you, yeah. know, you can you, know, they're, they're, you see reds and seeker in the same area sometimes particularly up on the tops and the Kaimanawas um, but um, um, where reds tend to have the reds will tend to um, survive better up in the open tops in the harsh winters and what have you seeker are a little bit softer and uh, tend to uh, like the, being a smaller body size like the, the you know the warm bush areas to live in so. Right, got any other tidbits about the 
Hastria Seeker? Uh, well, from there, um, they've colonised basically the central North Island area and they're concentrated around the Kaimanawas and the Kawikas um, and the Ahimanawas. But they are slowly spreading out from those areas as well. Right. But, but mainly confined to the Kaimanawas ranges, the Kaweka ranges and the Ahimanawas. Right. Um, which is basically at Pyrenoe, um nucleus have spread out from there and, yeah. and displaced the reds basically. Really? So they will displace the reds? Yeah, not... A lot of people think, oh, it's through being more aggressive you know, and chasing the reds out, but they basically eat them out. Right. The seeker are, are better at foraging than reds. They're a small right. animal. They'll, they'll eat lots of different things that reds won't eat. And um, they tend to think they basically eat the reds out of it. That's interesting. Yeah. Because you see, you often see, particularly on the private land stuff, where there's a lot of fallow in reds, the, the fallow will push the reds out of areas. Mm. And that's it's certainly not a... I don't know if it's a feeding thing. During the rut, I've seen fallow bucks run out red stags on a regular basis, yeah, just, purely, just yeah. purely based on attitude. Um, whereas the red deer seem to um, outcompete the wapiti in terms of feeding. Hmm. They're certainly a smaller animal um, body size-wise, but the wapiti bulls seem to be a bit of a pushover and tend to eat them out as well. So it's interesting that seeker have got sort of the competitive edge on red deer. That's... Mm. So yeah, it's mainly from an environmental point of view. I think yeah. it's just seeker will, will eat, you know, moss, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Lick the lichen off a beach tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, whereas red don't tend to do that. Although yeah. I did see one, I filmed one on Saturday actually eating some um, lichen. Oh, <laughs> a red, really? Yeah, a red, a red, a red, um, red fawn, or yeah, six month old fawn. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting stuff. Before we dive into the seeking foundation stuff, I guess one of the questions I think is. I mean, Seeker, to me, lend themselves to, I guess, the same kind of model as what they're doing down in, in Fiordland. Um, and the idea of getting them reclassified as a herd of special interest would certainly apply just because they are, I guess, localised mm. and they're a, a population that we could, quote, end quote, manage on some level. Um, what do you think makes them worthy of being a, a herd of special interest if we were to get that across the line? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, that's it. Let's say we've they've got their own unique um, hunting experience, basically, yeah. uh, both because of the animal they are and the, in the country they live in. Um, and yeah, they just I mean, people travel all over the world to come and hunt seeker, just like they do the wapiti. Yeah. So they um, and they're not as I mean, red deer are quite widely dispersed around the world, I guess, whereas yeah. seeker deer aren't. Yeah. Um, as, as widely dispersed. So um, and and. I guess I think it's just the nature of the animal. Yeah. They, they can be quite hard to hunt, yeah. and they're a really attractive trophy. Yeah. And I think in the last sort of you know hundred plus years, they've certainly become synonymous with the area. How important are they to sort of the local people of Taupo and even North Island or even New Zealanders for that matter? Yeah, they're they're a. Um, I just haven't got the figures in front of me, but they are they're a big part of the hunting economy. Yeah, and um, yeah, people say travel. When I'm, in the, on the, I'm in the Kaimanawas and bumping other hunters, they come from all over New Zealand to hunt them. You know, yeah. We quite regularly bumping the people from Auckland, Wangarei, um, down south, yeah. just come here to hunt seeker. I guess just like we go down south to hunt the wapiti yeah. all the time. Um, so they, they, they do draw people because they are localised here. Yeah. So they're really important to our, our hunting economy, you know, the hunting and fishing shops and... And helicopter operators have yeah. based businesses around them. You know, there's, yeah. there's um, two helicopter operators in, in particular that operate in the central of Highland here, basing their businesses around 
flying hunters into hunt seeker because yeah. they're an interesting species they certainly still have they still hold a very um alluring i guess quote unquote trophy um you know if you're a self-confessed new zealand hunter you know you've got to have a good seeker on it all right so there's that yeah. draw but there's also the you know i guess the value to the local people within the community to fill their freezers yeah they are great eating yeah they yeah, are great they, eating yeah they are yeah. so um yeah i guess um uh, to me they're the, they're the top eating deer species in yeah. the country oh really uh, yeah well that's only a personal opinion <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't shot every species either but, but they're certainly uh, really good to eat yeah they uh, are I'd agree they, with that for yeah, sure there's yeah. nothing quite like a nice spring seeker that you get on the bush line absolutely um, quite tasty so do you reckon there's a um, I guess within government and I know you've sort of had dealings with governments in the past and our current government through a number of different things but why do you think there's such a resistance um, within, I guess, DOC and more more viciously within, well, not viciously, that's a bit of a hard word, actually, more enthusiastically forest and bird around changing the status of some of our game animals from pest, you know, upgrading them from a, being in the same column as shipwrap, possum and, and stoat um, to herd of special interest. Why do you think there is such a resistance to that? Yeah, look, it's... it's Different, they mean different things to different people. I mean, you've got different groups of people who want to see New Zealand in different ways. You know, yeah. I guess, um, and you know, Forest and Bird have got their vision of yeah. how they want New Zealand. They want to return it to how it was before all the introduced mammals were here, I guess. Um, and what do they do? Do they kick the people out as well? I mean, yeah. well, how far do you want it back? Exactly. Yeah. So how far do you want it back? Do you, you say, well, yeah, we're just going to have birds and bats here and get rid of all the people as well? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, th- I think um, I th- it's, it's an interesting subject that you can go, go on for hours about. But um, yeah, I mean, I think deer and, and, and you know, deer, tail, game animals uh, as a whole. I think they just add something to the backcountry. I mean, I, I um, I'm, I'm out every week in the hills. Yeah. Uh, if I don't get out once or twice a week, I'm I'm having a meltdown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so and I do, and hey, I don't, I don't take the gun every time. I'll sometimes I'll just walk around the camera and photograph yeah. animals and 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 different things. You know, I'll, I'll, and and I can just have as good a day by, f- you know, getting a good photo of a falcon or a blue duck as yeah. I do of a, of a deer. So you know, you know, we're not just out there. Hunter, hunters in general um, are not just out there to shoot stuff. They're right. out there for the experience of the of, of our beautiful mountain and hill country. Yeah. And um, but you know, quite often I'll bump into trampers. And um, I say, oh, what are you doing? And, you know, you got your gun, you're hunting. And, yeah, yeah, you seen any today? Oh, yeah, I saw a couple, but I didn't shoot them. I just yeah. took a photo. Oh, can we have a look at the photo? You know, people, you know, they, even though they're not hunters, they, they're, they're trampers, they they love to see them as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I haven't obviously, you know, survey done and what have you, but I'd say the majority of people you bump into in the hills like to see a deer. Yeah. Then um, you've just got to find that balance Obviously, there is an environmental impact of having those animals in our back country. Um, so we've got to find the the balance between a sustainable number of animals and a sustainable environment yeah. that can that can handle the number of animals. It's just like a farm. You know, you've got a farm; it'll carry so many animals before it'll start damaging the pasture. Yeah. Uh, the same with our back country; it'll carry so many deer before it'll start damaging the ecosystem. So um, those those are the sort of balances we've got to look at and start working on and managing basically yeah. and, and it's game animal management and that, that's what's been missing in New Zealand yeah. ever since the with any kind of real solid scientific foundation exactly there's a lot of yeah. armchair <clears throat> experts and you know you know your own personal experience walking around the hills you know 
from Joe Hunter goes so far. Mm. But if you're going to go toe-to-toe with Forrest and Bird and Doc and, and show the New Zealand public that we have got the right intentions in mind, yep. you have to be able to show scientifically that you're robust and say, look, this area has too many deer and this is what we're going to do to reduce those numbers. This area here is about where it should be. Um, and this is how we can prove that. I mean, the Fuel and Wapiti Foundation have done that through, you know, they're doing the aerial surveys plus food plot, uh, vegetation plots and all that kind of stuff. So they're very open and transparent about how they do that. And I think as hunters in New Zealand in general, we need to be moving in that direction so that we can be 100% transparent. People start um, rely, relating hunters um, to looking after the bush. Because, I mean, you say met some trampers who were pretty keen to see a photo of a deer and the shoe goes on the other foot too I know most hunters are pretty keen to see a blue duck Mm. you know so there's no I would say 90% of people are very closely aligned it's the extremes at both ends that unfortunately tend to get the most airtime and drive you know news headlines so our current government is certainly further on the let's get rid of anything that was introduced you know post 1750 and you know clean the slate from that point which is in my opinion a pretty hard line to take very hard line to take considering how many people find um, and utilize and how important game species are to you know just general New Zealand people and what is is a part of our culture versus you know the other end which we have to own up as hunters and say we've got a few people in our community that say just leave everything alone don't touch it you know I'd want to be able to walk 50 meters from the car park to get my fill my freezer and what happens beyond that doesn't really matter as long as they're still trying to push into the car park it's yeah absolutely we've, we've got to start caring yeah about the environment as well the environmental impacts and you know that that um uh, and if we don't, we'll have a similar situation as to the, the, the Tar Foundation found themselves in yeah. when they said, hey, we've, all of a sudden, you know, new government, new ideas, hey, there's too many Tar. And, 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 if, we, and if we are proactive, yeah. that could have been avoided. Yeah, if, if everyone absolutely. was proactive, we, we won't go into that because that's my, not my area of um, expertise at all. But um, that, that, by, by um, you know, ongoing sensible game management that could have been avoided yeah. and but that won't stop there um we'll we will have um we'll have um yeah they're starting to look now at the car workers and the impact of seeker deer and what have you there's been a lot of work done on that with the um, mountain beach project that was um that, that the seeker foundation was involved in and members of, of the foundation were involved in uh, over time um but unless uh, unless we start taking a proactive approach um, we will have the similar battles as the Tar, the, the Tar Foundation are having yeah. um, with with the issues of perceived over over overpopulation of um, numbers and doing damage to the environment. So we've got, we've got to take the front foot. Okay. And if we don't start managing our game animals, um, we'll we'll get them taken off us. That's exactly yes. right. Yeah. And it's I think part of and what part of the reason we again speaking off mic before we got underway, but part of the reason we do this podcast is to try and get, you know, average New Zealand hunters starting to think a little bit more along those lines. Absolutely. And I think, you know, wrongly or good or bad, the the explosion of sort of um interest in media and um emotion that went into the tar cull 
has certainly woken up a number of people around the country around we can't just sort of sit idly by and, and let this happen. Um, so wrongly or rightly, it was certainly a lot of positives that came out of that whole saga. Yeah. And mm. yeah, I mean, from that perspective, you know, go ahead. Yeah, there, there is, but we've got to be careful. I mean, if while that was happening, uh, it had the headlines, but you know, even sort of, you know, it was only, that was only a few months ago, yeah. and people are forgetting about it already. Absolutely. We, we've got to keep, and that's where the Central North Island Seeker Foundation comes in. Um, with and that, that was set up in 2015 to yeah. take seeker deer through the process with the Game Animal Council of yeah. getting them registered as a game as a herd of special interest, yeah. and that was to ma- so we could manage them yeah. and the environment they live in. Um, with this current government, they've said that you know, having a herd of special interest is not top of their priority list, which is a, a shame. <laughs> That's a really nice way to put it. <laughs> I'm being diplomatic, but uh, you know, it isn't, and that's obvious. And um, but but we're carrying on as if they are. So yeah. we're going to we're trying to manage the seeker herd in the Central North Island in a responsible, forward-thinking manner. <clears throat> that that hopefully um, won't put us in a position where the where the tar foundation, foundation and tar has found them and yeah. uh, found themselves in with with um, you know, a, a, basically a surprise. Attack is probably the wrong way to, to put it, but um, yeah, it popped out of the blue. All of yeah. a sudden, hey, there's too many tail. All of a sudden, and it sort of took took everyone by surprise. Yeah. That's got to be a lesson to everyone else, to every other hunter, and, and um, your know, organisation involved in hunting. That's got to be a, a lesson to everyone involved in the hunting industry yeah. to remember and yeah. take the front foot. And we live in a day and age where working in partnership with others is how a lot of stuff gets done in New Zealand you know, politically speaking, anyway. If you're not prepared to front up and find a middle ground to move forward, then nothing happens. Absolutely, and it's, and it's better to work with people than um, shut your eyes and say that they're not there or, or no, we're not going to work with them, we don't like what they're doing. And, and I guess an example of that is the work we do with Osprey. Yeah. Um, I mean, Osprey are not every, every hunter's favourite organisation and, and, you know, there's, there's reasons for, for that as well. But um, if we... I mean, Osprey are there. They're not going to go away. They've they've got a a, a mandate to um, eradicate TB by 2050, I think it is, and yep. they're going to take the steps they're taking to do that. So, by ignoring them or or fighting fighting with them and and having the anti attitude, it's not going to be any advantage to us. So we we actually meet with Osprey, um, and the positives that have come out of that is that. Um, We've gotten to agree to put repellent in, in all the operations in Sika country, and so it's in the yeah. Kaimanawas, Kaiwekas, and, and Ahimanawas. So as a matter of course, if they're doing a 1080 operation, they'll put repellent in it. We've worked with them, um, and, and they've funded um, trials on the repellent, and, and we did this, I think it was three years ago, in the Paimahi operation. Um, they contracted Landcare Research to carry out a project there, putting cameras in a area that wasn't 1080 and the area that was before and after, and then okay. we, we put teams in, Landcare put their teams in and to find out how many dead deer were there and then we put a team in the week after. Yeah. Um, and I'll cut a long story short, um, it turned out the bio kill was about 9%. Right. Which which is acceptable. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's better if it's none, but, but that's not how the world works, I guess. Yeah. Um, so 9%, um, probably uh, within one year they'll be replaced by natural breeding. Yeah. Um, without repellent, it can be seventy to ninety percent, and in the Malvern situation, the red deer in the open that was ninety two percent, I think it was. What happened there? They deer rep- they put deer repellent. No, on it. no deer repellent. No deer repellent. 
And it just smoked them. And the, and the, the, the problem, you know, we'll come back to that one. Yeah. But um, in the Kaimanawas, we, and, and, Car workers and basically seeker country, we do work with Osprey to mitigate the effects the operations have. Yeah. Um, there are other things that have other effects. You know, you can't take your dog. We, we hunt with a dog. Um, you know, for, for finding deer, it's a, it's a um, indicating dog. Yeah. And finding deer, you, you shoot in the bush. Um, you can't take your dog in there for six weeks, uh, six months. You know, all yeah. those sort of things. So it has a real impact on hunters and how hunters operate. Uh, and you can't, you're not supposed to hunt within an area of, I think it's for about two or three months. You know, yeah. So that, it has a huge huge negative effect um, but they're not going to go away so by working with them we can mitigate the effects by the repellent thing and staggering operations so they're not going to do the whole area at once and you've got places where you can take your dog so by working with them and talking with them we can do those sort of things um, the other the other operation we, or other project we're working on them with is up in the remote experience zone okay, in the so Kaimanawas just so everybody listening that's <clears throat> way in the back country it's, it's yeah. mostly was it Manuka, Mulkanuka, and uh, no, there's beach, beach forest, but really hard to get to. It's it's um, not a lot of fun to hunt from memory. No, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> you can be pretty dedicated to walking there. Too. It's a long walk, you know, yeah. Hard to get out, basically. Um, not going to go in there to get yourself a nice fat spiker to carry you, out. You're not going to go for a day hunt. No, no, no. It's probably a day's job to get in there, basically, right. to walk in there and then you know hunt. And yeah, it's sort of not the place you'll go for a meat hunt. Right. It's a beautiful place to be, you know, and, and it's awesome. You know, the, the, the Rangatiki River, it's uh, probably the best backcountry fishing, yeah. some of the best country uh, backcountry fishing in the world, probably, yeah. um, but certainly in New Zealand. Um, and, and, you know, just a beautiful place to be, yeah. but um, hard to get at and, and not hunted and, and overpopulated with deer. I mean, you can see that by when you go in the bush here, it's just all eaten out right. and the deer are skinny. So um, Osprey wanted to basically do a survey in the area and just see what the TB status of the area was because there'd be no work done on there. Yeah. And it's because it's so remote and so removed from their operations they've been doing. So uh, we met with them um, and had a, had a talk about a process we could go through and work with them on. And, um, and once again, just to summarise what happened, um, we agreed with them to take out 150 deer a year out of that area for three years. Mm-hmm. And get them tested, so they'll they'll test them for TB. Um, so the deer in the core remote experience zone, where it's harder to get at for hunters, the aerial aerial shooting them, and they've okay. contracted Landcare Research to do this job for them. So they're aerial shooting that area, and for the easier to get at areas like Thunderbolt Range, Umakiri, Kiri, Urchin, those sort of places where hunters can yeah walk and go for a day hunt mm-hmm. or overnighter, uh, they've left that to the hunters uh, to the ground hunters. So recreation hunters um, are supplying about half, the, okay, half so the hundred and fifty five, about seventy five, you know, seventy five yeah. from from land care, the aerial operation, and seventy five from recreation hunters. And um, actually, land care will pay recreational hunters one hundred and fifty dollars per sample. So there's an incentive there for people to get out there and do that. That's really cool. Um, yeah, so it's worked really well. And, and for every 10 samples, they draw um, a name out of the hat, and that winner will get a free flight back into the area. Oh, awesome. So the whole lot of incentives around getting this getting this work this survey work done. And um, and, and you know that the other positive is that, that we're getting a huge database. So Osprey are supplying all the jaws to us, so we can age, age all those those deer that come out of there, um, whether they've um, 
where they've got the, the breeding status, so whether they're barren or breeding, um, and Osprey uh, and and sorry, Landcare who are doing the the shooting uh, have agreed to just target hinds. Right. So if you want to reduce the well, we'll come back to that. If you want to reduce the deer population, you target the hinds and the reasons why. But um, so they've just agreed to target hinds and leave any and cull stags. Any stags they take, they give us a photo. Right. So we can see that it was a cold stag, you know, or any hybrids, yeah. that sort of thing. So, um, the 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 guys doing the shooting are experienced in this sort of work, so they know what they're doing. Yeah. We we trust them because they are sharing all the information with us. Um, and it's yeah, you know, it's been the the database that we're building of that herd in that area is just um, invaluable. Yeah. Um, so basically, what what what's come out of it is fifty um, percent of the hinds are barren. Right. Um, most of them are in poor condition, and hence they're barren. Yeah. And the reason for that is obviously there's too many deer. Not the, enough The food. environment can't sustain that many animals. And the, the tucker in there is, A, there's not a lot of it because there's lots of deer, and B, probably not that great. No, the, the, the nutrition, nutrition value, value of the food, yeah. yeah. And that's that's a classic example of managing a herd. Yeah. So we've worked with um, Osprey and then on to Landcare Research because they've been contracted by Osprey to do this job. Um, so we've worked with both those parties and, and, and we work closely with Landcare Research um, obviously by supplying samples yeah. for the project as well. Uh, but they give us all the results. So they've supplied all the jaws, all the sample results. Been, and by the way, there's been no TB found in the area yet. Right, so cool. they've all come out negative, which is good. The breeding status of the animals, I mean, just over 50% were barren. Yeah. Uh, of the hinds, so that, that, that's pointing to too many deer for that environment to, to handle, and um, so we've got a and targeting the hinds. Obviously, they've agreed to do that, which is good. And they've just left the stags, and, yeah. and you know they, they've they've told us how many stags they left, and it's a, a good number. Um, so that that's a sort of positive management system that we need to migrate to other areas. Yeah, because I mean, high level looking at that, I mean that's great because you you're involved in that conversation, you're involved mm. in that process yeah. and there are hunters with a you know a, a, a pretty progressive view about managing those areas involved with it it's way better than osprey just going in there and smoking 150 deer well the easy no way, control the, the easy way for osprey would have been just to go and blanket it with 1080 yeah would have smoked them but then that would have, would have lost everything yeah so we 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 spoke to them and said well why don't we See if there's any TV in there first before you do that. So seems logical. Yeah, which is a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because we we don't know. We'll say, hey, let's find out. So this this is where the whole thing originated yeah. from talking with us. If we'd have just ignored them, this yeah. would never have happened. They'd just gone ten eight at it, yeah. and um, would have been yeah. Everyone would have been unhappy. Yeah, everyone would have been happy, particularly uh, the deer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, the, and the hunters just I just, mean, just. I've often mused to myself what would happen if we stuck a paddock of. 100 deer on State Highway 1 and fed them a bit of 1080 and just left them to it. Yeah. You know, SPCA would be knocking on your door within about five minutes. Mm. I mean, it's kind of the thing that people don't like to talk about is it's not a very pleasant... If you were going to kill deer, you probably wouldn't use 1080. It takes them between... It depends how many pellets they induce, but it takes between 2 to 30 hours for a deer well, to die. Pretty nasty. So it's basically... can be up to a couple of days, which... Yeah, and anyone few um, animal rights groups... Hey, if that was out in the open, it's not hidden away in the bush. People don't see it. Yeah, but if it was out in the open, um, you'd do jail time. You would. It's yeah. uh, the, I think the penalty is seventy-five thousand dollar fine or a five-year jail term. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's 
pretty serious stuff that's happening yeah. out there in the bush. I, I, I totally agree, and it, it, it sort of draws back to the fact that I think that you know, forest or bird or hunter or just general Kiwi, we've got a lot in common. Ninety percent of us probably hold ninety percent of our views on this stuff in the same package. Mm. It's just for whatever reason, hunters sometimes have a, a bad stigma attached to them that we're just sort of redneck beating on our chests, you know. Idiots, and we do exist. I'll be the first to oh, admit it's the same as any group of people, though. You know, you, you'll you'll even get real estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> there are some bad ones, and there's some good ones. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that give the rep, give the give the industry a bad name. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same with, with hunters. Is you know, with any group of people, you've got a diversity of opinions and behaviour out there. Yeah. So you're going to get some hunters giving other hunters a bad name, like shooting road signs or that sort of stuff, yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and doing things like that. It's just senseless, and you know, it doesn't do the hunting community any good, though, so that sort of behaviour. Yeah, but you've not. got people out there that do that. You know, yeah. So, yeah. And we've got to be own up to it and admit mm. it, but I think that the, the core majority have the same, we can agree on probably 90% of everything. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the fact that we all like deer, no one wants to see animals suffer, we want to manage it in a logical way, I think people just general Kiwis, hunters or non-hunters, can get on board with that kind of message. So the work that you guys are doing, I think, is incredibly important. And the, the tagline for the, the Seeker Foundation is a healthy seeker hunting resource thriving in resilient natural habitats valued by stakeholders. And the conversation we've had so far, I think, reflects already that you guys are, are certainly moving in that direction. Yeah, we yeah, look, we pride ourselves on being proactive in that respect uh, and and. Because we don't want to get taken by surprise, and and not just that, even before the the, the, the tar issue came up, we were heading that way in here. Yeah. Um, we we organised fly on hunts, um, four or five fly on hunts a year, and and at a time of the year when when the the stags not in the areas and people yeah. can target hinds, um, and we've actually got we work with the Department of Conservation locally um, because there are areas in that remote experience zone where you can't obviously you can't land helicopters there, but right. for management purposes. They can make special uh, um, dispensations. Uh, dispensations. So there's two or three places where they do let us do that yeah. um, for managing the numbers. So, okay. so Seeker Foundation works with with the likes of Osprey and Landcare Research yeah. and Department of Conservation um, to basically manage that seeker herd for all the right reasons for yeah. for for a sustainable hunting resource and a sustainable environment for those animals to live in. And um, that's that's our, our our goal is to work that way, and um, and it you know, it benefits everyone. I mean, if you walk into that into that remote experience and a shot a deer, chances are you're going to get a bag of bones. Yeah, and it's not going to taste good. It'll be tough. It'll be skinny, um, and the and the the stags that live in there will have poor quality antlers because there's no food for them. Um, there's other stags obviously that travel from the, out of the areas into there for the rut, but um, at the end of the day. You got poor quality animals for yeah, a lot of you've effort got to get poor there. Poor quality animals, they're hard to get at, they're chewing the shit out of their na- natural environment mm. and they're not breeding. So that it doesn't actually tick any boxes from a hunting perspective. None at all. The heads are shitty. So mm. they're not ticking any boxes from a hunting perspective, they're not ticking any boxes for a, a ecological management or no. impact perspective. So as hunters you need to well, you guys already are, but putting your hand up and saying, Okay, we can afford to knock some animals out of here mm. and you know, let's take out Let's swing that ratio to you know th- two stags per hind or three stags per hind maybe who mm. knows that way you've got a hell of a rut and you're not impacting the environment as much and you hit the nail on the head there I mean if you get if if you take 
if you've got a sustainable herd in an environment that they can be healthy and reproductive in, um, you're going to have a whole lot more, because the stag's being left there, but we're taking the hinds out. So you're going to have less hinds, but those less hinds will be better fed, they'll cycle better, yeah. and a stag doesn't roar until the hind cycle, but then you've got less hinds, you've got more stags, so yeah. you're going to have a way better rut. Exactly. You know, more roaring, which... Um, uh, and healthier animals, and that's all. Hunt, you know, that's what hunters are all about, yeah. isn't it? For especially during the rut period. Yeah, I mean, I hunt exactly. for both trophies and mm-hmm. and meat, but um, but yeah, it, so it suits both. It, you, the, the trophy hunter is going to be in there getting a better rut, a better better raw, um, and um, and the meat hand, meat hunters meat hunters will get better quality venison to put in their freezers. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly heard Cam Speedy, Speedy, sorry, Cam Speedy talk about it with a fairly high level of expertise because mm. it's kind of what he does. But what I I can't remember if I read it or I heard it, but anyway, that he was talking specifically about Seeker and that backcountry area where they're in shitty condition, they're not really breeding. They've got actually a, a really high density per square kilometre mm. um, and they're having a big impact. You know, you're not going to walk in there to shoot a meat animal. It's just not viable and even if the odd person does do it it's not going to be enough to have any kind of effect on that population so you're much better off managing that as a trophy herd dare I say it and you know the word trophy has got so many negative connotations attached to it rightly or wrongly these days that it's hard to say it but if it was a trophy herd then guys are going to take that extra effort to go and do their raw trip they're going to spend the money to fly in or spend the effort to spend a few more days in the bush Mm. and if it was managed that way whereas the stuff on the front country it's, it's funny the deer actually have a much lower density but they are much healthier as a result because there's a lower density yeah, yeah. because there's a lower density mm. and they breed much better yeah. so instead of you know he was saying that some of the research had done in that back country like those hinds are barren for eight out of their ten years mm. you know versus the ones that are in the front country are breeding it too and dropping a fawn every year so they're much more productive you know those yeah. front country populations are you know doubling every three years or whatever it is whereas the backcountry ones really aren't so that they're, they're not doing anyone any favors and unfortunately they're the ones you know that doc and stuff get most worried about because they're in the highest numbers and you know people see deer control and throw their hand up and freak out when they don't actually stop and you know management comes down to very specific areas even with somewhere like the Kaimanawas it needs to be broken out like they do in Canada mm-hmm. into management units yep Absolutely, and, and and to that end, the Seeker Foundation is also working with uh, Land Care Research and Osprey, and Osprey funded it for us actually. To um, and as they are funding the the, the project that um, uh, we're working with them on at the moment, Osprey are funding that project, taking out the 150 deer because yep. it's for their for their research purposes to find out the TB status of the area. Yeah. Um, but they also funded um, provided funds for us to go in there and do facial pellet lines. To get an indication of animal densities. Okay. So you, you're I think it's a 150 meter long line. You go and there's a method of going in and counting them. Yeah. Basically counting deer poo. Yeah. <laughs> and and extrapolating it out to see how many you know, in the what, area in yeah. the area and, and do that once a year at the same time of the year to basically keep an eye on the population and see whether it's increasing or decreasing. And yeah. So and Osprey funded that as well for us. So they don't. They're not. You know, by working with them, there's a whole lot of benefits as well that would yeah. never have happened if we'd have just stuck our head in the sand and said we're not going to work with you guys. So um, yeah, and, and look, you know, it, it may upset some hunters that we are working with Osprey, but we find it more beneficial for the hunting resource that we do because well, there's a whole lot of things that we've got out of. We've got repellent, 
going all the operations. We've got the research happening up in the Kaimanawas. That wouldn't have happened if we hadn't worked. They'd have just gone and blanketed it with 1080. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're helping out. They're paying for um, you know, the, the pallet counts. Yeah. Um, yeah, and a whole lot of, whole lot of benefits like that that come back to well, us. It allows you to move forward, right? Mm. I mean, not everything's perfect all the time. Mm. And I, I understand that you know, there's there's a quite a stigma attached to osprey for whatever reason, and a and lot of hunters some, some good reasons and too. some good reasons, yeah. and it creates a little bit of distrust. Mm, but does. unless you actually sit down and have these conversations face to face with, you know, and you know, we would love to talk to somebody from osprey. Mm. Like we would love to. I know it's it's very hard to get anyone from Doc or Osprey to sit down and have an official conversation with you, mm. and probably for good reason from their perspective. I understand that side of things, but I genuinely believe that there are probably those within who are doing that work are, uh, you know, open-minded and realistic. Well, the thing is, yeah, with them, they weren't for a start yeah. because, um, um, yeah, they, they, they just had the attitude they could do it anyhow. Yeah. Um, but but when we sat down and talked with them and said, hey, guys, yeah, we, we represent a whole lot of hunters here. And, you know, I guess in the... In the in the car workers, in the Kaimanawa, sorry, there's just over 8,000 permits issued a year. And in the right. car workers, there's about 6,000 odd. Right. So there's uh, about 14,000, is it? My math's not that flash, but. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough for our <laughs> listeners. It's, it's, it's a lot yeah. of hunters we represent. Yeah. So we went to them and said, look, we, we represent that many hunters. And then and, and you put numbers like that in front of them, they go, oh, wow, that's the amount of pe- people we're affecting with the operations. So yeah. then they started listening. Um, or to a degree, they don't yeah. listen to everything we want. We don't get everything we want, um, but we've certainly got a few, a few. Um, um, At least the doors open for a conversation. Yeah, yeah, a few benefits from the discussion. So, yeah, uh, they, 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 and, and I guess they're seeing more and more reason with us yeah. for our, for our um, um, you know, concern, I guess, as to what the, as to how the operations affect hunters. So they have listened to a certain degree by splitting their operations, by putting their talent in, by helping out with these research projects. And yeah. That, yeah. You know, I mean, and there's always people will probably, you know, to play devil's advocate will always say that there's a chance for them to turn around and and screw you over if there's a change of management or change of attitude or something comes Mm. down or up from the bureaucrats in Wellington um, telling you that you must do this. So there's always a risk for that. And and we all understand that. But I mean, the alternative is burying your head in the sand, which which is going to land you in the exact same position. So if you're actually logical about it and think about it, you're much better to try and be genuine honest and transparent and yeah. why we're doing things and you know maybe change a few of the um, opinions within you know be it Osprey or Doc or whoever um, and you know get our small wins and along that way yeah yeah and it's all about you know cooperation and and, and uh, mitigating the effects or negative effects that those sort of things can have on hunters and that's what we work for that's what we're there for to represent the hunters and um, and you know, hey, and the people on the thicker foundation are all hunters as well, so yeah. those those affect us personally as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, well, you guys are living here, right? You're, yeah, you're the ones amongst it. This is our playground. Because it'd be interesting to see the statistics, and I'm sort of trying to think back to my mountain safety days. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure these numbers probably came across my desk at some point, but my got a mind like a sieve. But when it comes to you know land users, well, backcountry public land users, hunters have to be the majority. Because you've got you trampers, yeah, I get it, but that's front country and established trails. Anyone who's off that, you know, there are the few people who are just genuine adventurous backcountry trampers, 
but there's got to be at least the same number or more hunters that actually recreate in those areas. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, there's, as you say, the, the trampers, hey, look, I'm a tramper sometimes. I'll, I'll take off up the hills without my gun and take my <laughs> well, camera. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, because I don't need any meat for the freezer or what, for whatever reason. It's just not, I just like being out there. But, um, um, yeah, trampers will you know, most likely stick to the trails and the huts and those sort of things. But the, as you say, there are some adventurous ones that do go off the trails, but yeah. not that many. But hunters might use a trail to get to a hunting area, then yeah. they're off the track. So hunters will see areas, see parts of the the back country that no one else ever see. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, you take Fiordland where they go in there and the Wapiti, um, the, the Bugle. I mean, There's just no logical uh, reason to be in well, there otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you the boys in the first period were thinking that this year. Exactly. Boy, did it rain down there apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so hunters are out there in places that no, probably not many other New Zealanders will ever see. Yeah. And they'll see things that other people in New Zealanders won't see. And that's, that's where... Um, you know, it's not all about it's not all about the hunting thing either. It's just a backcountry experience. Hey, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll get out there for a weekend or a day or you know, a couple of day trips or whatever, and I'll, I'll have my gun, but I'll also have my camera. I yeah. never, I never leave home without it now. Yeah. And um, I'll if I see, if I see a blue duck or a falcon, I'll I'll photograph it and I'll be I'll get home and be just as excited about that as yeah, I would have for a shot of deer. You know, well, so. Being out in that environment creates a hell of a connection to the area mm, you know, and it, it generates a whole lot of passion mm. and I think that that passion as hunters sometimes we we struggle to channel that in a constructive zone and we're not you know being who we are we, we struggle to articulate why we're so passionate about the deer and why we're so protective of the the area that sometimes it comes out as not particularly well thought out rhetoric. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, the the whole thing. It's just a backcountry experience. I mean, from from there, uh, we've we meet we meet with the Department of Conservation here in Taupo two or three times a year um, as a as a group. There's, so there's um, the Seeker Foundation and the NCDA Taupo meet with the Department of Conservation, and um, we and we all, we discuss things of mutual interest like you know, hut and track maintenance. Um, Deer control, access, all those sort of things. Um, in the meeting in June last year, we we came up with a suggestion: Hey, maybe we can get involved in predator control, um, yep. protecting some of the native species. Because hunters are not just out there. Um, as I've said, you know, we 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 get a bigger thrill out of seeing a, a moor pork or a falcon or a blue duck as we do out of seeing a deer. A lot of us, yep. and um, and it's just part of the outdoor the, the backcountry experience and. So he's made that suggestion to the doc, and they said, wow, um, love you to help. And the great place to start would be the Omaru and the Kaipo Rivers um, because there's, there's a blue duck population there, but it's very vulnerable and very small. Yeah. And um, so we said, right, stand back, we'll do it. And they, they gave us the go, go ahead. They gave us some advice on how to carry out uh, the project. Yeah. And from there we picked it up and ran with it. So the Central North Island Seeker Foundation is running the, the um, Kaimana Fio Recovery Project. Cool. And from there, we we get volunteers from NZDA Taupo and um, yeah, a whole lot of other hunting and associated organisations. But the Seeker Foundation are running it. So from that meeting, we raised that that was in August two thousand eighteen last year. We raised twenty thousand dollars within a uh, couple of weeks. No kidding. Enough to buy a hundred traps. Hundred. Yeah. So we're using the um, the Good Nature A twenty four. 
Oh, yeah, um, so they're the ones that go bang traps, and then reset yeah, themselves. Yeah, so traps, yeah. So we, what we did, first of all, was go into the um, the Omer and the Kaipo Rivers. We took a, took a, I took, we took a team of, um, two teams of, uh, I think it was four people, yep. and did a survey of the two rivers to see how many blue ducks were there. Yeah. And uh, it turned out we found one pair on each river. That was that. So, yeah, and there might have been one or two more, but that's what we physically saw by yeah. actually walking. We, we walked up 10K up each stream and walked walk back in the river system. To, right. And, and so we didn't miss too many, I don't think. So we, we, but we found one, one pair on each river. So from there we raised the funds um, and then went in and put the traps in in July. Which was pretty bloody cold because the middle of winter and <laughs> a bit of time was not a lot of sun in those valleys. <laughs> no, a bit yeah. of time was spent waiting. But anyway, we had a team of twelve volunteers yeah. that went in. And we put we we did them put them all on one day. Actually, we walked into the Om- we we walked in the day before uh, into the Omaru hut, camped in the other night, and got up at five o'clock next morning. And away we went and yeah. and we put a hundred and. 108 traps up the Omaru River, uh, so the 10 kilometres from where it meets, where it, where it joins with the Kaipo to form the the Mohaka. Yep. From there up to the um, to the Swing Bridge area, so it's about it's 10 kilometres, and um, so you have one trap every 100 metres stag yep. on each side of each side of the stream, and um, so we had those installed, and you can leave them for six months without having to go back and check them. So ideal for remote location like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and that, and that, those those traps target target um, stoats and rats, and for the for the blue duck, um, their main predator is the stoats, right? Um, and and rats eat the eggs and that as well, and the young. But main predator stoats, um, and they just cause havoc with the population. Uh, they 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 kill the young. Yeah, um, blue ducks molt in in the summer as well, um, so they're quite vulnerable then as well. They can't fly, obviously, so yeah. stoats will, 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 deal, will, to them. will deal, them, deal to them then as well. So um, anyhow, we we got the project going and uh, we went in twice over that period just to check. We've put counters on all the traps as well because yep. the, the traps will... It's called the Goodmatch A24 Stoat and Rat Trap and uh, it consists of a... a Basically, plastic um, molded system yeah. with a little gas cylinder and one, and, and screws into the side of it, and it's got a little lure pot that sits on the top. And there's one in there. Actually, I've oh, got yeah, a guy yeah. coming to pick up two tomorrow to yeah, go yeah. and reset a couple of traps. Um, and um, that lure will last for six months. So you can set them up and walk away and leave them for six months, and they'll just go on killing predators. They'll yeah. they'll fire twenty four times. Hence the name A twenty four, automatic twenty four. So they'll fire twenty four times. Before they need resurfacing, and um, but the, the the thing is, they'll kill it. They'll they'll kill the um, the the predator. Yeah. Whether it's a, a stoat or a rat, but other things drag them away. Yeah. So you, yeah. you'll go back up there and think, well, oh, I can't see anything here. That are they working? Yeah. So we have got these little counters which I have here on the bench, and right. uh, we put one of these counters on each trap, so you can go in there and, and check the counters and just see how many kills each trap's had. That's really cool. And some of the traps we found um, did. Pests by them. We've we've found mice, yeah. uh, rats, stoats, and even a hedgehog. Yeah, no. Right up in the kaipo. <laughs> so those, those De- tra- devilish little buggers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what he was doing out there, but he, he won't do that again. No. Um, so they're, and they're humane traps as well. They got a piston that comes out and whack, yeah, crushes the skull of the animal. They just drop down and it resets yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, so over the f- we went on twice and checked the counters, but um, and then we went back and, and, and after the first six months, they had to re- got to replenish the gas and the and the and, and the, the lure. Lure. Um, Over that six month period, 
we had 499 firings. Wow. Um, so 499 predators taken out of that system. Um, and over that period, uh, we went in in September and checked them, and the, one of the teams found a, a pair of blue ducks with five young, oh, wow. uh, nearly to the fledgling stage. And yeah. that, um, and that, and then also a group of hunters saw another pair further up uh, near the top end of the trap line with a with a um, a group of four oh, wow. near the fledgling stage as well. So, I mean, there's nine fledglings that probably wouldn't have been there without this project yeah. and pretty satisfying it's really satisfying and it's I think it's exactly the kind of thing that you know I mean first question I guess is the volunteers and the members of the Seeker Foundation that have been helping you with that um, how do you how's the enthusiasm with them how do they how passionate are they about predator control oh look the whole the whole project has just been amazing I mean I'm the coordinator of it but it's not just me. It's there's a whole lot of other people out there yeah. um, that are involved, in it and and yeah, one person can't do it on their own. It's, it 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 relies so first of all our sponsors. You know we've got an amazing group of sponsors who have donated um, substantial funds to this project. And we've, yeah. we've the Kaipo is stage one, and then we've we carried on from that and raised money to do stage two, which was from where the Omaru joins the Kaipo and ten ten k at the Omaru. Yeah. Um, so we we. We've set stage one up, then started raising funds for stage two straight away. So we, by um, by February, uh, which was six months after those traps were put in, yeah. they were due for resurface. So we went and, and set up the, the second um, trap line at the same time up the Omaru. So oh. we've now got 20 kilometres of protected field. So that's another there. 100 traps? Another 100 traps. Oh, no, it's 73 in that trap line because some there's some private land on the other side of the road, right. which we didn't do, we can't yeah. do. Um, but coming back to... Um, Coming back to the, the sponsors and the volunteers, the sponsors, you know, it's just a matter of approaching people and they've willingly given you know, quite substantial funds, some of them, um, for that project. And if you want to just check out who the sponsors are, go to the Seeker Foundation uh, website yeah, we'll and all those sponsors are listed there. Um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're Yeah, listening. absolutely, because so without the sponsors, we wouldn't have a project. Um, so, um, and then, then it comes to, um, hey, how do we manage the project? You need a whole lot of people, volunteers. Yeah, um, amazing response. Now we've had we've got people travel up from Wellington, yeah, um, Hawkes Bay, Gisborne, uh, Tauranga, Cambridge, New Plymouth, no kidding, um, and some local people as well. But yeah. these people will travel that far just to come and help us put the, the majority traps in. Are, are hunters, all hunters at this all stage. Hunters, we yeah. we have got some other people volunteering now, but the the thing about um, the project, it's not. You know, there's no footpath there with a power pole to attach these yeah, traps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're in the bush, and um, you've just got waypoints to where you're going to put yeah, them. So you're going to have a few clues on. Yeah, yeah, so hunters are ideal people for it because yeah. uh, they're bush-wise. Most of them can use GPS, um, and which is essential because you like, you put a trap on a tree, but you've got to be able to go back and find the thing again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone else is going to go back <laughs> and find else, the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, which has worked. You know, even it's been fine. We've we've found everything yeah. um, and and serviced them since then. So it's all working perfectly. Um, but but hunters are, are the ideal people to manage something like this because they're used to being in that sort of country. And it's say it's not some of it's not easy country either. You know, yeah. it's all bush country, and some of it's up and down. You know, lots of river crossings, um, and in the middle of winter in July we put these things in. Yeah, so. It's it wasn't enough. exactly a, 
a, um, <laughs> a, a picnic so, on a tropical island somewhere. No, no. <laughs> um, so it was pretty cold, um, and and yeah, big day on the river. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guys that, that that did the top end of the trap line, you walk from the hut, ten k up the river. Yeah. Start working your way back down again, yeah. and you get back, and there's twenty odd k. Yeah. Uh, and one day. A lot um, of crossings. A lot of river crossings. For every like 100 metres. Yeah, yeah, and carrying, oh, we put a team on each side. Oh, right. Yeah. But, but there's still river crossings involved yeah. and carrying all your gear with you. Yeah. Because the traps don't appear up there by themselves. No, You've got to don't. carry them all with you. So, yeah, big down the river for, for, for the guy that did the top end. That's awesome to yeah. hear. Okay, second question. In terms of the local dock office, they were obviously pretty um, happy to hear that you're prepared to do the work. Have you met with them since? Has it been, can you, have you seen any sort of attitude Opinion changes within the locals that are here working for Doc. Yeah, look, we've we've always had a really good relationship with the local Doc people. Yeah, uh, we've we've met with them regularly on a, on on an ongoing basis for for a number of years. Um, so we've got a good relationship with them in in, in all respects. Um, That's good. So, you know, which has been really helpful. Um, but this project. Look, yeah, they're, they're right behind it, obviously, because good. there's only so much they can do. Yeah. Um. a lot of people say, "Oh, why don't Doc do it?" Hey, they've got a They've got budgets got like everyone do. else. They've look got look after the Tauranga Tapo. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> look after the walking track. Yeah, and and yeah, so and, and it's not just that. It's the fact that the people involved in this love it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, we've got. Um, I've got a couple of lure things on my desk on, on the on the bench here as, as we're talking, and um, one of these volunteers, and I'm not going to pick people out. I won't mention names because that'd be unfair. But they're all they're all just totally. Um, dedicated to this project, but um, uh, this particular person, he lives in New Plymouth. He comes over every time we go in there. He drives all yeah. the way over, and he usually stays here the night because it's um, just, River just punch. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was up the past the top end of the trap line where there was no traps, and he knows there's a couple of pair of brood ducks up there, and he saw a stoat, and he rang me up, Gary. <laughs> so I seen a stoat up there, and I know there's two. Pairs of blue ducks. He's, he's, can I get a couple of traps and put them up there? So he came and he drove all the way from New Plymouth. Yeah. He'd, he'd gone home by this stage, and he came. So he came all the way back, called in there, picked up two traps, ran in there, <laughs> up over the Tearinger track, down the other, uh, not the Tearinger, up into uh, the Hennemoy uh, Air Track, I think, into the headwaters of the um, the Kaipo River. Yeah. Another few k out there. Set up these two traps, camped the night, and tramped out sixteen kilometres the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that's dedication. So, so, that's dedica- so that's the sort of people yeah. that we've got running this project. So it yeah, doesn't come awesome. down to to um, uh, any. It just, it just comes down to enjoyment. I mean, yeah. and, and, a, and a feeling of of um, satisfaction being involved in something like this and seeing the results of those 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 nine. Fleetling blue ducks that probably wouldn't have been there. Always been an advocate of New Zealand hunters are a huge resource. Oh, they are. Like we're, yeah. as you say, we're, we're handy in the bush. We know our way around. You know, generally in good shape. Mm. Love being out there. Yeah. Don't necessarily need to be hunting. Just love being out there. Give me a reason to walk into just the back of the there hills. tomorrow. Yeah. 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 So utilizing that manpower, um, you know, is is a fantastic way to a get some stuff done. And B, I think for the non-hunting public, the more of those sort of um, bastions of positive conservation work that we're doing that doesn't necessarily mesh with the you know their previous impression of hunters that mm. they have picked up from somewhere along the line, the more of that press that we can get, when we get into a position where um, it comes down to a vote A versus B, if our reputation as hunters is someone who is passionate about the environment the animals that live there and you know 
empathetic when it comes to animals and all that kind of stuff. We're much more likely to get the general public on our side. Absolutely, and and we're actually now getting um, we're getting people ringing us up wanting to be involved in this project who are yeah. not hunters. You know, I've got I've got people from tramping backgrounds and. Yeah. Um, the last time we had, we had a couple of, um, you know, we had three um, teenagers in there helping us. Um, yeah, just just the response is just amazing, and and it puts and it helps put hunters in the centre of society instead of being on a fringe um, um, with a, with a you know, negative view of what we what we do in the bush. Yeah, exactly. Hunters are conservationists. You know, they're, they're probably more conservation minded than than most other people. And it's it's funny because as hunters we know that, and mm. at a core we know it. And We're just like, not good at telling people. Yeah, and like I said, I live in Vancouver, which is pretty much, you know, the people in Vancouver and big cities in Canada and North America for that reason, and I've said this on the podcast before, have become, you know, multi-generation separated from hunting and yeah. agriculture and everything that happens on the bush. They're very much inside their bubble. And I had a, a, a guiding colleague of mine send me an article that ran yesterday in the Vancouver Sun. And the headline was something along the lines of um, uh, shameful hunting culture within the depart- their equivalent of Department of Conservation, which is their, um, their conservation officers, right? So it was like an expose that somebody that was a conservation officer in Canada was also a hunter. Like it was this massive thing. Anyone that's had anything to do with any conservation officer in Canada understands that most of them are hunters, you know, because they understand the environment, they see the benefit that hunting has and the money that comes in and managing species as a renewable resource and all that kind of stuff. They all understand it. But this Vancouver headline was so far detached. I mean, I look at that and I think that's the equivalent of there being a headline saying, you know, culture of healthy eating amongst Olympians. It's like, of course they eat healthy, you know. It makes sense, you know. It's that, for me and probably you, it's that black and white. But for people who are so removed from hunting, and in New Zealand we've got an opportunity to get ahead of it a little bit more because we're a smaller country, we've got a lot of rural ties and hunting ties within New Zealand. So now's the time to do the work to get in front of it and not let it get away like it has in North America. Yeah, and, and that's that's a good point because that's, that is happening. I mean, most, most I mean, I mean, I grew up on a farm and in back in my day, I can say, in my yeah. younger days, um, you know, it was very rural-based. You know, a lot of people, most people had some connection with, with farming in some way. Yeah. Um, but now it's different. You know, I mean, most, most of the population lives in the cities yeah. and, and, and a lot of them have never heard of a blue duck or a deer yeah. maybe or never been out there and seen one. So, yeah, we, we need to be conscious of that. And, and, and you know, there's things like, you know, the hunting shows on TV which, which have, show a positive... Um, part of it, the positive well, aspects of hunting. They do in New hunting. Zealand. It's mm. fantastic. Mm. The guys, they and do. again, shout out to those boys. And Curran spoke to Willie um, earlier the other day, and they do a really good job of yeah. showing the right side of hunting. Yeah, and it, and that's basically what they do is how all hunters go out there and do yeah. their thing. Yeah, it's the vast the, majority. The vast majority. Yeah, and and look, hunting is a. Um, you know, you've got a lot of problems with. You know, mental health and all those sort of things these yeah. days. Where you know, look, if, if more people got out there and cleared their mind in the hills, yeah, you'd probably have a, a lot calmer population. Maybe, so, yeah, <laughs> so many benefits to it. We could yap on all day about yeah, exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as as far as the the Seeker Foundation goes, what 
if anyone out there is listening, what's the easiest way to, I guess, contribute or be a part of? Is it become a member? Is there a membership option? There's a membership option, and I think you know, more so these days than ever, it's, more, it's so important to be a member of some organisation, yep. where it be you know, the Seeker Foundation, obviously we want members, but you know, join up you know, NZDA, who, who, whoever you prefer, but um, join up an organisation, because yep. it comes down to a numbers thing. Yep. At the end of the day, they'll say, oh, there's only um, X amount of members here and X amount of members here. We won't listen to them. They're not yep. important. It's all political political um, uh, input for hunting groups and groups associated with, with recreational hunting comes down to a number of things. Yep. Politicians, um, they, they, that's how their mind works. Yep. It's all about votes. Maybe, maybe I might be being a bit harsh here, but well, but, but at the end of the day, that's how our system's set up. It's not, it a, it's not wrongly or rightly. That's just mm. the way it is. And I, we say it on this program all the time. If you're not a member of probably the NZDA from a national point of view, yeah, just get your name on a bit of paper so you can be counted as yeah. a number. And then whatever you're passionate about locally, like be it the Tar Foundation or the Seeker Foundation, yeah. you know, there's there's always the trouble of it being a little bit too splintered. But if you're passionate about Seeker and you're listening to this and you're not a member of the Seeker Foundation or at least in touch with what's going on, then you should probably have a little bit of a think about where your priorities lie. Absolutely, and, and if they, if so, but um, is, then there's no reason why you can't join up you know, more than one club. Yeah, like absolutely. One club, um, but, but certainly support them, and um, it, it is just more and more important numbers. Because where do you get your funding primarily from? Uh, well, the, something like the FIO, the FIO project, it's just totally from sponsors local businesses Lo- mainly local businesses yeah there's yeah. some some national ones there but uh, most of them are local um, and, and you, once again I'll just say go go onto the Seeker Foundation website and check those sponsors out because yeah. there's quite an impressive list there and support those people because yep. they're doing an awesome job of helping us with this project and, and other projects that we're involved in as well but um, yep without those guys we wouldn't it wouldn't be happening um, but um, no it's 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 so basically, our majority of funding comes from donations yep. and membership. Um, so join up. So go on the up, website, so join up, become a member, and that'll get you in touch with the projects you're doing and the opportunity to volunteer. Yep, projects we're doing, plus the organised hunts. Okay. Uh, great opportunity there. The organised hunts are set up. We've got deals with the helicopter companies involved, um, so we get special rates because we're putting so many people in there. Yep. And uh, we can get you into places... Um, that um, yeah, there's obviously campsites that we've established and that for, yep. for landing people and landing sites. So um, that's a great opportunity to get um, you know a group of people in there and who might not be able to afford it to go on their own, but they can get a group of three yep. and get a discounted rate as well awesome. uh, to go on the organised hunt. Plus you're helping with um, um, you know, management, yep. animal numbers and what have you. So, that's really cool. Hmm. All right, well, I appreciate you taking your time. I won't keep up. Any more of your day? No or, worries. Um, it's more fun than work, though. Yeah, yeah, it certainly <laughs> is. Well, I've, uh, yeah, you should do a list of things I've got to do after I'm done with this. It's, um, it is what it is. But if it, is there anything else you'd like to to chuck in? Um, no, not not really. It's just just the, the big message to hunters out there is, um, we've got a. It all comes down. It's coming down to game management. You know, game our game animals are a valuable resource. And we've, but we've got to manage them because people are seeing the environmental impacts of overpopulation yep. and, and those are the negative things that, that the media and other people tend to, to grab hold of yep. um, and not the positive aspects of having game animals here. 
um, and and you, you tend to get you know media will pick up um, they won't take a middle of the line approach they tend to want um, headlines yeah, so people really sen- sensationalise things yeah. yeah exactly so so it's just so important to get on board with 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 organisations like the Seeker Foundation um, become a member and be part of game animal management. Um, sustaining our game animals in a sustainable environment, yeah. and and if it doesn't, if we don't get on board with that, um, we'll get them taken off us. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll just be, um, um, you know, that the the current current government has the attitude that um, they want to, I guess, want to get every get rid of them all. Um, yeah. Well, she's openly uh, said, Eugenie yeah. says that if she could exterminate or mm. introduce species, she would. Yeah. So we, it's something we've got to, um, you know, put our hands up and. Stand up for, yeah. and I was trying to explain it to somebody the other day. Um, it's it's quite simple, really. They introduced deer, mm. the population built up, it got too high, to the point where they were dropping dead, and it was bad for everybody involved. Mm. Helicopters started; they knocked them right back to in areas where they were. You'd be lucky to see a deer. Now, over a period of time, they've built back up again until we've got good, sustainable numbers. And unless we want history to repeat itself, exactly. i.e. helicopters go back there and wipe them off the face of the earth, yeah. as hunters we've got to put our hands up and say, hey, look, let's manage these animals. Take responsibility Take responsibility them. and have a yeah. long-term view and yeah. a long-term plan that we can keep a sustained number, which is good for everybody. It's good for people who are meat hunters, good healthy animals in the front country that are fat and nutritious and you know plentiful. Oh. But not having a massive impact on the environment, that's good. You know, trophy herds in specific areas, particularly ones that are a little bit more remote or, you know, the geography lends itself to that, that's great for hunting too. And it's all about keeping those numbers down. That's good for everybody long term, whether you're a recreational hunter, a wero operator, a flat tack conservationist, or an all rounder, it doesn't really matter. If we've got a long term plan, it won't be this knee jerk oh, there's too many tar, let's smoke the whole lot of them exactly. attitude, yeah. you know, and, and put that across any game animal in New Zealand, that's could potentially happen. Oh, and it will. If we, if, but we've got to take that long, and don't be afraid, I mean, the message to hunters out there, don't be afraid of game animal management in the way of taking some hinds out of a area yeah, exactly. to reduce the population. Don't be afraid of that. You should support it, because if we don't do that, um, the the the, um, the consequences are far yeah, don't worse. Don't be surprised if somebody yeah. does it for you. Exactly. Well, they will. Yeah. And and, and it's been stated they will. So it's, it's a sustainable, long term game animal management for the benefit of everyone involved. Yeah. Basically. That's exactly right. Mm. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Gary. Thank yeah, you again. Thanks for the opportunity. And we'll. Uh, it'd be bloody good to catch up with you in a, a year's time or someone else from the Seeker Foundation when I'm coming through again. It was good that we could chat on. Got a wedding here and then back to Vancouver next week, so right. um, it was nice to nice to have a chat. Yep, no, good to catch up and um, yeah, keep in touch. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers. G'day, it's me again. I uh, hope you enjoyed that chat. I, I know I really enjoyed having it, and like I mes- mentioned at the start of this podcast, I just want to give a special shout out to some of those sponsors, well, all of those sponsors that Gary mentioned during the podcast, because I think they probably don't get the recognition that they deserve and if you're a local in the central north island and you have a choice between dealing with organization a versus organization b hopefully a couple of these names will stick in your head and we can you know 
see them get some benefit out of putting their hand up and donating to that project. So this is not in any particular order, it's alphabetical, that's how they read on the website. I know you guys are probably uh, not going to jump on the rest website just to read out the sponsors, so I'll read them out here for you. Uh, Bailey's Taupo, Becca Finlay Allen, Business Advisors and Accountants, the Department of Conservation, Fulton Hogan Bay of Plenty, Good Nature Traps, Hard as Rocks. Now I had to go to their website to figure out what they do. It looks like they do stonework based out of Taupo. Halley Seeker Taupo, that should be familiar to most of you. Ingham Taupo, they're the Mitzi and Kia dealer in Taupo. Hunters and Habitats, that's the foundation that you can join. They do uh, insurance for hunters, liability insurance. It's attached to the Seeker Show. Um, and it also gives you free entry into the Seeker competition, I believe, as well as into the show itself. So Hunters and Habitats, NZDA Taupo, New Zealand Forest Managers Limited, Malcolm Morsney Clark Lawyers, Safari Club International, the New Zealand chapter, Stony Creek Clothing, and last but not least, Taupo Floatplanes. So all of those businesses are the ones that Gary mentions during the podcast have put their hand up and donated cold hard cash so uh, if you get an opportunity be really good to show your or show support as hunters and give back to those guys as well because uh, as you would have heard in this podcast they're doing a lot of really positive work hope you have a good week cheers g'day thanks for listening to the educated hunter podcast there are a number of ways you can connect with myself Matthew Gibson or my partner in crime Curran Island at The Educated Hunter, and the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening, and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.